How's everybody? <laughs> Got a thumbs up from Trip. That's good. I actually start to get sad this time of year. There's about three weeks left to Labor Day. Labor Day means summer's ending. That makes me sad. <clears throat> Why don't you actually do me and do yourselves a favor? Just turn to the person near you and just say, hey, what's one thing you want to do before summer ends? Just take a minute and say, one thing you want to do before summer ends. Go. Well, if you're like me, Kelsey and I and JD, we just haven't gone to the beach as much as we would have liked to, so hopefully we can get a few more beach times in before we hit Labor Day. As John said, my name is Neil Hubacher, pastor of the Harbor, and uh, we're just thrilled that you're here tonight, and you've come in a wonderful time. We are going through a series we've called Home Improvement, because we know that God cares about the relationships, the activities in and around the home, because Eventually, we're all heading to the home of homes, heaven, and that a lot of what we do in our homes patterns uh, things that are going on in heaven. So he cares about those relationships, those activities. And so if you've been walking with us, we looked at finances. Brian Carlson did a great job describing how we can buy eternal, be smart, buy eternal, invest in heavenly things, be wise with our heavenly resources. Then John Prickett preached on mercy. Oh, how we need mercy in our homes, don't we? We need to show mercy to each other, not judgment in and around our homes. And last week we looked at Sabbath and just our need to rest and we, we learned that Sabbath is, if you remember, trusting a person for your provision and the result is rest. Amen. That's what we learned about Sabbath. And so we get into the home stretch here of our home improvement series and we're going to look at singleness and marriage. Singleness and marriage. And so tonight we are looking at singleness. You know, it's funny how your brain works when there's heavy or strong or powerful emotions. Those can create memories. And I want to take you to two memories that I had in 2005, just five years ago. And uh, one of them was I was doing a thing that I love to do, and that was I was in the south of France with friends there. The names are the Duclos, Alain and Marie Duclos. And they're actually really funny. They're a great couple. They have a couple of kids. They love singing. They're musical. They actually got onto... They got pretty high up in the uh, European version of Europe's Got Talent, I guess it would be. America's Got Talent, but it's Europe. A wonderful couple. And they had me with them and um, we're, I had some of their friends. And we went to the beach in Cannes. Maybe you're familiar with the film festival in Cannes. So we were there. It was a Wednesday night. And the Wednesday nights in the summer in Cannes, they would show these awesome fireworks. Beautiful fireworks every night. And uh, this particular year, 2005, every Wednesday night, a different nation would sponsor these fireworks. And so I was there on Russia night. And so the Russian music was probably Tchaikovsky and this really kind of artistic fireworks display. And I remember sitting there, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but you know you're in a crowd, but you're the loneliest person in the world. And in 2005, at 32 years old, unmarried, I was a lonely person. And my heart was aching. Here I was enjoying something wonderful, you know, uh, I loved being overseas in the summers, which I could do as a teacher, but totally lonely, utterly lonely, absolutely dark. And I thought, you know, you're watching fireworks, and I just thought, gosh, this would be a good moment to be with a companion, and I have none. I was beyond consolation at that moment. Have you been there? <laughs> have you been there, right? No, no, not me, says Susanna. <clears throat> Fast forward a few months, same year, 2005. December of 2005, I learned that my roommate, Brian Zimba, 
uh, great guy in building, building and architecture. He was going to take, he had this great job opportunity. So he is going to move out of our apartment down to Florida. And uh, much like this church, there's a large pool of single men. And so you'd think that I'd be able to find someone to take his place. But I couldn't because it was January. It was the middle of the year, so I couldn't find another man to take his place. Brian moves down to Florida. And uh, guess where I have to go? At 30, now I'm 33 years old, unmarried, and I'm moving back into the house with my mother. I'm <laughs> sure our culture isn't always done. And so I'm moving back to my mom, and I'm just, I was like, Lord, can things get any lower, right? That sometime between Christmas and January 1st, New Year's, I move into my mom's New Year's Eve. What it, I have nothing to do, no one to be with. I call up my friend Jason. Some of you know him. He was a Young Life co-leader. And I go to Jason's. I don't know if you, if you remember New Year's Eve 2005, but there was a light snow falling. It was very dark. And I'm going to my friend's house, who actually lives in Walpole, where my wife is from. And... Uh, you know, I'm having beers with Jason Meinskow, and, uh, you know, we're in the basement, his apartment, in the basement of his mother's house. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm a lonely man. I love Jason, but I said, I'm, I'm just lonely. This was dark. So I just wonder, have you been there? You know, single or married, have you been there in that place of just utter aloneness, longing for companionship, not just Jason the electrician, but someone else. <laughs> Jason's a great guy. <laughs> if you're married, I want you to stay in the game here because we're obviously going to look at singleness, but as far as a church body, marriage, you have great things that you can do and be about in order to help single folk, encourage them and be with them and, and love them. And that's what we're doing tonight. So stick with me, single to married, okay? And as we get into this this little talk on singleness, I um, want to say that we have kind of an overarching scripture. And it comes from a strange place, though. It comes from 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy, if you remember the, the letter that Paul wrote to 1 Timothy, he has, Paul has appointed Timothy to be the elder in the church that he planted in Ephesus. He put Timothy in charge. And so the letter is full of advice. Timothy, this is how you need to be a good pastor. This is how you need to walk in your calling. This is what you need to watch out for. And in the midst of it, he says, one thing you need to watch out for is these people who think that godliness can be used to get material wealth. It sounds almost like the kind of prosperity gospel that's pretty popular today, right? Godliness or following God somehow can equal a Mercedes-Benz. I'm not sure that's the case. God doesn't seem to promise that. And so in the midst of this, Paul says something. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And although the context of that scripture is in regards to Timothy watching out for these people who would want to preach somewhat, something like a prosperity gospel, godliness with contentment is great gain is probably the banner scripture for us as we talk about singleness. As a single person, if you can be godly and content, then you have great gain. If you can walk in holiness and happiness, you have great gain, and that's God's desire for you. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Everyone just say that with me, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So I think that God has 
as I've put up there, single satisfaction for you. As a single, you can be satisfied. You can live a satisfied life, and you should. It's God's plan for you. Actually, single or married, God's plan for you is a satisfying life. You can be singly satisfied. And I want to look at three things that kind of contribute to this single satisfaction. The first one I call, (laughs) not I, but the scriptures, undivided devotion. Let's look at what Paul Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he's writing about marriage and he says there's some advantages to being single. This is how you can be godly and have great gain and uh, do so as a single person. Listen to what he says. He says, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 7.32. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. That's good news. Anyone got some concerns here? Paul's writing to say, I want you to be free from concern. Maybe you're single and you have a few concerns. Paul says, I want you to be free. He says, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. Verse 33, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And I want to tell you, as a single, you have the privilege of walking in undivided devotion to the Lord. I, besides his wonderful crop of hair. One thing that I love about John Prickett is the fact that he is a single man who is walking in godliness and contentment. And there's a whole bunch of, there's a quantity. There is quality because he's John Prickett, because he's, he's just content as a man of God. But because he's single, there's a quantity of people that he can affect and reach that way outstrips what I can. Now listen, I'm content as a married man. Me being married and having our child and hopefully having more children I'm thrilled. It's what God has for me. It's brought emotional stability to me like nobody's business. I wasn't too content of a single person, actually, truth be told. But because John's content, he is able to have this undivided devotion to the Lord. He can reach and be with many of you in ways that I can't. Whereas for me in evenings, I need my primary desire and my primary call in the evenings is to be at home with my wife and my son. John is free in evenings and on weekends to be with some of you. And he's doing an excellent job of it. He's living as a content man, and he has undivided devotion to the Lord. I don't I don't I wouldn't say I get jealous, but sometimes I'm like, oh man, I wish I could see this person or that person. I'm a content married man. But as far as like the labor and ministry, you know, it looks different for me. Kelsey and I actually met doing Young Life, and in Young Life when I was single, you know, I could meet with students in the evenings. I could go to plays. I could go to the athletic events in the evening because I was single. I had undivided devotion to the Lord, and I could do the work of ministry, whatever God was calling to me, very freely. So don't forget that. You know, some of us, we think as single people, we just assume the grass is greener on the married side. But let me tell you, you have a liberty that changes when you get married. I'm so happy, actually, when Kelsey and I were considering marriage, you know, I'm a little bit older than Kelsey. Some of you may know that. And so I said, hey, Kelsey, one thing before we get engaged is, you know, I've had my 20s to do a lot of fun stuff. You know, I'm able to go to France for two months at a time every year. I've gotten a lot of this out of my system, and I've loved it, you know. 
you haven't had that, Kelsey. Are you sure you want to marry me now? <laughs> because your liberty is going to look different when we get married. So singles, your ability to travel, your ability to take up different interests and hobbies, sports, recreational things, you know, they're just really unlimited as a single person. Enjoy it. It's a gift from God. It's wonderful. You have a chance to have undivided devotion to the Lord and quite a liberty. A second thing that contributes to single satisfaction is the fact that the scriptures call it a holy vocation. Singleness is a holy vocation. Earlier on, in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul said this. He said, I wish you all were like me. I wish that all men were as I am. This is 1 Corinthians 7, 6. And he's talking about his marital status. When you look at the context, he's talking about the fact that he's single. Now, why would Paul wish celibacy on anyone? Well, because he knows you can be undivided in your devotion to the Lord. But each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. So singleness is a holy vocation. It is a calling and it's a gift that God gives to some. And surely as Paul was writing this, he must have known of the conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees and with his disciples only a few decades before that. We have it recorded in Matthew 19. The Pharisees being the Pharisees were just trying to trick Jesus, most likely. They kind of knew there was a little uh, asterisk in the law, and they wanted to see what Jesus would say about this little asterisk. In Matthew 19, the Pharisees, right, these are the legal scholars of the day, they question Jesus and they say, okay, Jesus, you know, is it okay to divorce? If you want to go there with me, you can. Jesus, being Jesus, knows that their hearts aren't really to know about divorce, but really just to kind of set them in a trap. He says, well, let's go back to Genesis. Remember, God made man and woman, right? And a man should leave his flesh. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) That'd be weird. That'd be out of body. (laughs) Man should leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, which we often quote at the end of weddings, what God put together, let man not separate. That's how he answers. Ooh, but then the Pharisees get to the asterisk. I'm in verse 7. They said, why then did Moses command that a man should give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replies in verse 8, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, this conversation between him and the Pharisees, this kind of catches the disciples' attention. And I think it's one of those things, you know, you're around people all the time, you listen to them talk, okay, cool. Ooh, all of a sudden, some of the disciples kind of woke up to what Jesus had just said. Some of them were married, some of them weren't. Now the disciples are like, hold on, Jesus. What did you just say? If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. You know, they kind of got a reality check. The covenant's a big deal. And here's Jesus' response in verse 11. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they are born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage or literally have made themselves eunuchs Because of the kingdom of heaven, the one who can accept this should accept it. 
Now here's where it gets a little awkward. We just need to explain what a eunuch is, right? A eunuch is someone who has been castrated. That is that typically before puberty, they've lost their testicles. They've been cut off. Now, why would anyone do that to any man? That sounds like a little bit harsh, and I imagine it is. I'm sure glad it didn't happen to me. Why eunuchs, right? History tells us that eunuchs were a regular part of the ancient Middle Eastern culture, Roman culture, Greek culture. The Byzantine Empire had eunuchs. And in India and China, and actually history tells us that even up to the 20th century, early 1900s, there was groups of eunuchs in China. Well, what the heck is the purpose of a eunuch? Eunuchs came about mostly in order to protect people of royalty, people of standing, royal cultures, royal people, leaders. And the reason being, let's say I'm a king and I have a harem, I have a few women. Who do I want to guard them? Some really big gladiator? No, because I'm concerned that Mr. Gladiator is probably going to take an interest in my harem. But if I get a eunuch who, because he's been castrated and has no uh, testosterone raging, that there's going to be, you know, he's going to have a low sex drive and low aggression. That's the kind of people I want guarding my women. But it wasn't just to guard the women. It was also to, to be friends of the royal, royalty. Because also, because they don't have a whole lot of aggression, they become the confidants of the king. They become the confidants of the, the, confidants of the royalty. They can share kind of their secrets. They can have them around, surrounded by these eunuchs because they're not going to uh, be aggressive or they're not going to, say, make love with the queen and you know, try to s- subvert things by having offspring with the queen. These are some of the purposes of eunuchs. They become chancellors, actually. They become counselors. They become confidants of royalty. These are why eunuchs are around. So when Jesus is saying some are eunuchs because they were born that way, right? Some people are born deformed. Others were made that way, and that's the very thing I've just been talking to you about. They're made that way for these purposes. Then it says others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. In In other words, some people wanting to have the undivided devotion that Paul talked about have chosen a lifestyle of singleness. So it's a holy vocation. I remember actually having a conversation. I hit 30. You know, when you hit 30 and you're single, especially in the church culture, it can just be hard. People are wondering, what is your deal, you know? And I remember having a conversation with my mentor, Pastor Sean, the pastor of our sending church. And I said, actually, I had this conversation also with John Papirio, who was Kelsey and I's area director in Young Life, and he was Catholic. And I said both to Sean, pastor of our sending church, and to John I said, why is it that the Protestant church and the evangelical church doesn't really have an expression for single people like the Catholic church does? I was really kind of wrestling through this. I didn't know. God, I don't know if I'll ever be married. And if I'm not, I just am not super content. And it seems like at least the Catholic church has a valid expression. Single people who want to serve the Lord, they can enter the priesthood. They can become a brother or a nun. And it's somewhat legitimate. And of course, recent history shows us that some people haven't really worked through that call very well. You know, if they become sexual predators, something's not quite right. But in its pure sense, and I know and hopefully you know, some Catholic priests who are legit, you know, they're the real deal. They love God. They have chosen celibacy and a lifestyle unto God, and it's beautiful. And I was thinking, God, why don't we have that kind of expression? Because I don't know where to go with myself right now. And I think of my friend Ablez, 
Yes, anyway, so Sean's answer to that question was, hey, go plant a church. <laughs> so that's how he solved that one. <clears throat> my friend Blaise, some of you are at my wedding. He's one of my groomsmen, a friend from France. Actually, probably one of my best friends in the world. This guy's a few years older than me, so he's, he's hitting 40 soon. And Blaise has this call. He is living in a holy vocation. As far as I know him, and I know him very well, he's pretty worked through. I mean, as far as his sexuality, he's, he's not this super repressed guy. You know, he's content. And um, he loves God. And because he's single, he's, he did some, he's traveling over the world. You know, he went to Brazil last year. And then recently he was just in the training school that is at Bethel Church in Redding, California. The, whatever they call it, the School of Supernatural Ministry. You know, and basically he did the Navigate training school at our grandparent church. So he's going all over the place. He's hungry for God. He spends half of his time in France where he's from and half of his time in India working with orphans. He realizes that his singleness is a holy calling, a holy vocation, and he's content. A third thing that I would say about single satisfaction, and this is where it gets really good, this is where it gets rich, is you need to know that God has designed for you a single person, a satisfaction that is absolutely heavenly. When I was asking Sean and John Papiri, our, our director in Young Life, when I was asking them these questions, really wrestling through, hey God, am I going to be a single man or married? Can you just let me in a little bit? I'm getting a little restless here. and I need to kind of settle this thing so I can live out the rest of my life in a kind of secure path. I came across this passage from Isaiah 56. And it's funny because I know Isaiah 56 fairly well. Because a few verses later than what we have up there, like in verse 7, it talks about finding joy in the house of prayer. And it talks about how God's house would be a house of prayer for all nations. And that's stuff that I've meditated on for years, and I love it. One of my favorite things is to get people finding joy in the house of prayer. Come with us tomorrow morning at 7 and get joy in the house of prayer. I love it. It's my favorite place to be, honestly. I, I really like praying. But I had just glossed over for years these first few verses in Isaiah 56 that have something wonderful to say to single people. If you have a Bible, read them with me. I'm going to start right in the middle of verse 3. It says, And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, And hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name that will not be cut off. And I got to these verses and I just experienced an intimacy with the living God, an assurance and a love that I just could not have experienced any other way. And I had a real assurance that should God call me to singleness, it was going to be okay. And these verses explained why. And I want to walk through, kind of phrase by phrase, this, these few verses because they were so rich for me. And I'm just going to share with you kind of what God was speaking to me as I meditated on these verses, right? <clears throat> Let's start there in verse 3b. Let me make sure I'm not jumping off too much. Yeah, I knew that, yeah, right. I knew that if I would make God my single satisfaction, that I could be satisfied as a single. That's what I got from these verses. Let me start in verse 3b. Let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Well, what's that talking about? Trees are meant to bear fruit and have leaves, right? They're meant to produce life. And of course, a eunuch can't produce life. And uh, 
you know, I had a strong desire. Again, once you kind of, as I was kind of settling past 30, I thought, I think I really do want to have a family. But if I don't, if I'm unable to get myself a wife, right? Proverbs says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. If I wasn't able to find a good thing and I settled into singleness, then I had to know this, that, hey, I wouldn't have to say I'm a dry tree, right? If I don't end up producing any family, somehow in God's kingdom, it's okay. If I feel like a dry tree, I'm not a dry tree. And let's see, here's why. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, and if I was going to be single, this is what I felt like God was saying. I was saying, hey, keep my Sabbaths. And of course, not just show up on church on Sunday, but I felt like God was saying to me as a single person, don't check out. Stay in community. As I mentioned to you before, when you hit 30 and you're in the evangelical community and you're single and you're a man, right? They wonder, what's your problem? You know, you're supposed to be the initiator. What's going on? But I, and so everything in me wanted to pull back from community. I wanted to pull back from faith groups. I didn't want to go to another faith group where it was awkward for me. I didn't want to show up at this or that again. But I felt like God was saying, keep my Sabbath, stay in community. You belong. Okay, you're not a second-class citizen as a single person. I knew that in my mind. I didn't know it in my heart. But I felt like God was challenging me there. And this is where it gets good. Who choose what pleases me. And as soon as I read that verse, who choose what pleases me, I knew that God was addressing my sexuality. I had to choose what pleased him. And as a single person, I knew that my one option was celibacy, right? I couldn't mess around with other people. I couldn't mess around with pornography. I had to choose what pleased him. And I knew what pleased him was celibacy, pursuing purity. And I just had to wrestle with that through God, saying, God, I know you haven't given my sexuality to torment me, although it feels like it at times, right? But God said, hey, if you'll choose what pleases me, you're going to make it. Choose what pleases me in the area of your sexuality. And then he said, if you hold fast to my covenant, if you hold fast to my covenant, just the picture that I got there is, you know what a fireman's grip is, right? Jenna, can we do a fireman's grip? Hold on, just grab me like this, okay? If you hold fast to my covenant, right? And all I know is I just got to hold on to God and his covenant is holding on to me so that even when I let go, he still holds on because he's a covenant God. (laughs) The thing was, I was letting go all the time. But God was saying, if you hold fast to my covenant, right? And he's holding on to me. Such a blessing. And listen to what he says for a single person. He says, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. Let me paint this picture for you because the Jewish reader would understand this means a lot. The fact that God wanted to give within the temple and its walls something to eunuch was huge because I don't know if you remember the law. I read a verse when I first read through the Bible. I was a little fourth grader. I, uh, you know, I'd read the Bible right before I go to bed and it's one of those verses that you go, I mean, I was very literal as a fourth grader. So in Deuteronomy, it says, hey, if you have crushed or cut testicles, you can't enter the assembly. And so being a fourth grader, checked up my sheets, said everything's okay, put my sheets back down. I said, okay, we're okay, move on, you know. But listen, this is the law. Really, people who are crushed or disformed or disfigured, they weren't allowed into the assembly. But what's God's promise? God's promise is for a eunuch in the temple walls, right, within the temple, right invited to the place of intimacy, where normally he would not be allowed. Do you hear the intimacy of God? Do you hear the favor of God? Do you hear the desire of God for a single person? It says this, 
and you'll get a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. And again, you know, I'm just thinking, great, God, so I'm going to basically suffer through life as a single person, get to heaven, there's going to be a little plaque on a wall that says, Neil, good job. I'm saying, God, I know heaven's going to be good, but I don't know if I can take this anymore, especially every time I get on the T-bus. This isn't working. Then again, a little Hebrew would help. That word memorial actually means hand. And so God's promising his hand to the single person. Again, a picture of friendship, a pledge, right? What do you do with your hand? You shake with your hand, right? God's going to give a pledge. God's giving us help. What do you do with your hand? You help. It's friendship. God is promising friendship, intimacy, help for the single. And of course, it's a memorial and a name, and implied with name is fame and glory. God wants to share his fame and glory with us, and it's going to be better than sons and daughters. I love having my son. I have to tell you that right now. Having my son is so much fun. It makes so, I mean, we just, we have so much relationship. Because Kelsey and I had a child, it's just changed the color of all of our relationships with our in-laws, with our friends, with you, because people are all interested in our son. It's a lot of fun having a son. It's a lot of fun having kids. And of course, I, this may sound a little crazy, but I like look forward to 20 years from now when our kids are growing. And just, hopefully, we'll have a full tree, a full quiver. It's going to be wonderful. But look at what God's saying. If you're single and you obey God, you have godliness with contentment, he's promising something in heaven way better than what Kelsey and I are enjoying as we have a son. Way better. So I held on to this verse with all that I could, and I said, God, I trust you. If you have singleness for me, we're going to make it, and I'm going to be satisfied as a single. I will obey. Amen? So how do we do it? Just a few practicals. What do I do with this? How do I do this? How do I achieve single satisfaction as I make God my single satisfaction? I just have a couple of practicals for us. How do we achieve godliness with contentment? And then get great gain. The first thing is really simple. I just want to encourage you. You just choose to live content. Because as I said before, married or single, you're going to have a choice to live content. And listen, when you become married, that choice doesn't all of a sudden become super easy. If you're not choosing contentment as a single right now, of course, all the marrieds are laughing right now because they understand. If you're not choosing contentment as a single, believe me, just because you get a ring on your finger and someone living near you and you're sleeping with in the same bed, that doesn't all of a sudden make contentment super easy. You still have to choose contentment. Why don't you choose it now? The second practical I'd say is from Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and all, and in his righteousness and, and its righteousness, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And of course, what he was talking about was a lot of material things. But I think this verse applies. And the reason is, Because if you'll just go for it in God, like why wait around? If you're just waiting around for a spouse or a relationship and not going for what God has for you, what a waste. You're losing time. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do what it is that God's called you to do. And you know what? God just may bring a spouse along your side. I can't guarantee it. But let me tell you my story with Kelsey really briefly. I was, as I told you, I hit 30 and a lot of things started to kick in. And one of those was, I should be married. Anytime you hear a voice inside that says, I should, I should, you probably should be careful because whether it's external pressure or internal pressure and you're thinking should, should, should and you're doing things because of the pressure, it just usually doesn't work out. I just pressed on. I was teaching at the time 
And, uh, you know, I started to notice the students that I had just had life problem after life problem. I was a fairly good teacher. And so students would learn French, and they would also come to me and say, this is my life falling apart. And I started to notice a pattern that many lives were falling apart. And strange enough, in a city like Newton of 80,000 people, there were zero witnesses of Jesus to youth. Zero youth groups of life-giving churches that were preaching the gospel. There are a few gospel-preaching churches in Newton, Mass., but few of them were reaching youth. And so it bothered me. I said, okay, what are we going to do about it? God, what are we going to do about this? You know, I, I realize I've... You know, here I am. I'm a single man. I'm not just going to twiddle my thumbs. I'm going to be about the king's business. And so sure enough, a group was getting together to start Young Life, just a youth ministry that requires a, a group of adult committee members, and that was forming. And basically, I got thrown into that. And um, Kelsey, who had just also been trained to become a Young Life leader, gets assigned to me. So I have this new partner in crime, and we start to love students in the name of Jesus. And we start to laugh together. And we start to cry together over students who reject the gospel. We start to rejoice together over this girl named Judy, the hardest-hearted person in all of planet Earth who comes to Christ. We start to go to camp together. I see Kelsey totally in mud from doing the obstacle course. And she <laughs> gets a concussion because she's playing around in a boxing ring, right? And she sees me do stupid things, jumping off large trees and all this. There, are, there were belays. We were safe. But we start to live life together. And then God, being the little Cupid God that he is, don't record that, <laughs> does something. And we get engaged and we get married and we're having a great time. But the thing that I want to point out was there was a decision in me that said, I'm not just going to wait around. I'm going to pursue God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And listen, as this community starts to send people to the nations, send people to towns in New England and wherever we get sent to, some of you are going to have that choice. Do I go as, an, as a single person, not knowing what's before me? And I say, yes, yes, yes. Watch God take care of your needs as you go. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So you choose contentment. You just go for it in the kingdom. And then just honestly, this is a little silly, but elsewhere in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul just says, hey, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So I just say, e-harmonize if you want to, you know? We've got a few stories of e-harmony working in here. Just go for it. I mean, if you're... If you're if you are single and um, not happy wishing you're married, then it's okay to do something about it. You know what I'm saying? So just e-harmonize, okay? Amen. <clears throat> Marrieds, I'm going to ask you to do two practical things. If you're married here, I want you to do things. I want you to be sensitive. I want you to be shepherding. You're sensitive by the fact that you're not pushing people all the time. I'm telling you, if I had an M16... I think I would have unloaded on a few people. Well-meaning, but I mean, if another comment about, well, you know, what are you going to do? Are you ever going to get married? Are you going to start dating? Blah, you know, <laughs> back off. People have heard enough, okay? So as marrieds, we want to be sensitive to singles, not joking, not, not, not hurting, not poking in ways that are painful. And also marrieds, we want to be shepherding, okay? By virtue of the covenant that we have, we are stable. And so marrieds, you should be inviting singles over. Marrieds, you should be pursuing singles relationally and friendship. And here's what gets me excited about this. If we do these things, if we seek godliness with contentment, knowing that it's great gain, and if we'll uh, pursue the kingdom in the ways that I've outlined, this is what gets me pumped. A few things are going to start to happen. You singles, you singles who choose to marry, 
you're going to be stable because, as I said, you already have chosen contentment. You're going to realize that your contentment doesn't, dispend, doesn't de- depend on your spouse all the time. We're going to have some stable marriages. If you're single and God has you remain single, you're going to be more secure because if you make godliness with contentment, your, your, your goal, and if you're hanging out in this Isaiah 56, realizing that God's got a special place in his heart for you, you're going to be welcomed in heaven in a way that married people will not. You're going to be more secure. You're going to enjoy life like my friend Blaise. And finally, what gets me excited, if we will do these things, all of us seeking godliness with contentment, knowing that it's great gain, we're going to be living out our value. John mentioned this value earlier of sharing life, or maybe Sarah mentioned it. Probably both of them mentioned it. We're sharing life. And you know, it's some, there's something beautiful about a community that takes care of one another. When we're sharing life, marrieds and singles, because listen, singles, you guys can help marrieds in such awesome ways. You know, we're blessed. We get babysitters all the time. Thank you for serving us in that way. And marrieds, we can cover the singles as we should. And that's how it should be. The body of Christ should be being the body. And no one should feel left out. It's going to be beautiful. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jen, I'm going to ask you and the worship team to come back up. <clears throat> we always want to have time to respond. Hey, God loves you. You know what? Yeah. Why don't you guys stand up? Stand up. God loves you. Single or married. Happily married. Unhappily married. Happily single. Unhappily single. God loves you. Can we just do a silly thing right now? I just want to sing. We're going to sing a song. It's a song you know. It's called Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Because you really need to know how much God loves you. Let's just sing it together. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells us so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. We're loved. We're loved. Father, we receive by faith the supernatural love of God. Oh, God, let it invade our hearts, God. And God, we just lay at your feet all the stories and the hopes and the dreams, God, in this room, the relational hopes and dreams. God, you've made us male and female. God, you've made us biologically to procreate. And some of us will walk in that, some of us won't. God, thank you that you love us all. God, we need you. We need you. Just whatever state, whatever status we're in, we need you. 
Teach us contentment and godliness because it's just great gain. Whether we're married or single, divorced or widowed, we love you, God.